This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. Change has to happen at many different levels. And there is this notion in the industry where you only work with people who do things from the very beginning a certain way that are already very ethical. But my goal has also been, and I think there's a, I have some peers in this space, is how do we work with people who are maybe not doing things the right way, but help them change their business practices, right? So I think there's also that level of engagement and capacity building that can be done. So as a small brand, you can work with a factory that maybe doesn't hold to the standard you may have for manufacturing, but slowly encourage them to change their practices, invest time in helping them change those practices. This was Shivam Punya, the founder of the luxury handbag label, Benno, which is designed in New York City but made in India. Benno operates at the intersection of ethical thinking and luxury design, a space I have always been very interested in. Further, Benno's mission is to redefine and bring awareness to the character of made in India and to set a new standard for Indian factory manufacturing that improves the quality of life and safety of women in the garment trade. Shivam and I talk about how to move from exploiting cheap labor to creating a nurturing environment and community, how the company's name encompasses the DNA of the brand, even after pivots, the innovative way in which Benno reacted to Blackout Tuesday last year, and so much more. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank the latest supporters of the show, Loa Pine and Darius Cole, who joined on the Golden Circle level. You guys rock. And Aditi and Yusuf for becoming part of the Creative Circle community. Thank you. If you want to up the ante with your brand or creative business while offsetting some of the costs of bringing Hitting the Mark to you every two weeks, then join the small group of brand strategists and entrepreneurs from across the globe who hop on monthly advisory calls with yours truly. Head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to do so. And now, without further ado, over to my inspiring conversation with Shivam. Welcome to the show, Shivam. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, your background leans heavily on marketing. Um, you earned a master's at Duke University in global health, social entrepreneurship, and international development. So it really isn't far-fetched that you are now running a brand that has equality, sustainability, and philanthropy woven into its brand DNA. But what may come as a surprise is that you're running a luxury fashion label specialized in women's handbags. How did, how did this come about? Um, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, and the brand's journey. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely very unexpected. Um, that's for sure. I was actually in grad school studying women's reproductive health in the field in India doing my thesis research there. And I came across a lot of study participants that were textile weavers. And at the time, I didn't really make much of it. Um, I was more focused on gathering my data to write my thesis. But when I came back to Duke to actually sit down and write, the Rana Plaza co collapsed in Bangladesh. Mm. And that was a very emotional moment for me. Um, so many of the women that were murdered in the atrocity were very similar to the folks that I was working with in the field. And I, 
I was emotionally very unnerved. I was talking to my family. I have a very large family, two moms, two dads. My mom's younger sister married my dad's younger brother and we live together and do everything together. Hmm. Um, and I was talking to my two dads um, and they essentially told me either you make peace with what has happened or shut up and do something about it. Um, so as a family, we kind of decided to jump into the space to build a factory to kind of top our traditional manufacturing and the fashion space um, and do it in a different way. And how do we infuse ethics and sustainability at a very core part of the brand DNA? And that's kind of how I got into the space. So very unexpected, I was actually gonna go into healthcare consulting. That's been a dream of mine since I was in university days. Mm. And it was, a, it was a little bit of a moment with my mothers. They were so appalled with the idea of me jumping into an industry that I had no idea about. Um, but here we are, and it's been <laughs> six years. <laughs> That is amazing, and 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 tell us. So, so first of all, um, you know, it's a very unusual way to 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 start a company, but then again, it isn't because it's all about passion, right? And 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 you are very passionate about this. And but what is what is unusual is you know, so we started a factory. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is not something that you usually immediately do. Um, you know, usually you start you start you know um, outsourcing to other factories, but. I believe in your case, you just had to, you just basically had to build a factory based on your ethical standards because you couldn't see it done that way anywhere else. Exactly, and I think that you hit the um, the point exactly. And I think what happened was for us, we didn't ever really see ourselves in the beginning having our own fashion brand. We thought that we would manufacture for other fashion brands. Interesting. But what we started to realize is that when we talked to people about Made in India, people were skeptical of working with us. So what we started to realize is that we needed to set the gold standard for what could come out of our factory, which is why we created Benno. And we wanted to showcase a luxury product that was really tailored, that was not made in a sweatshop and not hippy-dippy and aesthetic, which were mm -hmm. some of the presumptions that people held against products coming from India, especially in the fashion space. And that's how Benner was born. But then we also started to realize that there was immense potential to actually create a brand manufactured in India um, that would sit in the global marketplace. So that's kind of how the brand started. So yeah, we initially wanted to manufacture for other people. Um, and now we have um, changed our business strategy a little bit. So we've pivoted away from that factory to make Benno products exclusively. But you know, that's kind of the initial stepping point. And you started with um, with women's fashion and then you moved more into specifically into, into, hand, into handbags, is that correct? Yeah, so we made the pivot about two years ago. Um, we launched with women's ready-to-wear, full collection, knitwear, um, wovens, uh, and we realized that our social impact on the back end was directly related to how financially robust our business was. And our women's wear, it was a tough space to be in, and it was not necessarily something that we were getting a lot of traction on. And we started having a lot of buyers comment on handbags that we were designing and styling in our lookbooks. And we decided to make that pivot then. And I think that was one of the biggest breakthrough moments for us. One of my mentors, Denise Siegel, um, was helping me navigate these paths. And she um, serves as our acting CEO. And she founded DKNY with Donna. Um, she used to be the president and CEO of a lot of American. Americana bands like Calvin Klein, uh, Nautica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her name um, her name rings a bell, even for those not in the fashion industry. Yeah, 
Yeah, so she um, helped me make that pivot. And I think that was single-handedly probably a moment where we started to realize where Benno really could be in the fashion space. And we felt that, you know, the buyers were interested in it. There was a room to play with other factories and make, make significant partnerships there um, while converting MSA ethos, the factory that we built, to have a slightly different purpose. Um, so there's been a lot of pivots, but I think, yeah, to answer your question, we started off with women's wear and now we focus on leather goods. And and let's talk a little bit more about that that ethos. Um, you know, what is it what is it, what does it entail? You know, how do you how do you run your business um, differently than let's say you know the typical you know luxury fashion house? I think one of the biggest things is understanding that when we manufacture a product, we are working with communities that are very different than ours, and I think this comes especially to become a point for brands that manufacture in developing spaces, but are headquartered in the West. And I think that as a brand, we spend a lot of time in the field. And myself, you know, pre-pandemic, I was going to India nine to 10 times a year. Mm -hmm. And my design team was going five to six times a year, working with the factories, working with the artisans, working with the garment workers on the floor at the factory. And I think this single-handedly might be one of the more important elements of our brand ethos and our brand identity also. Because I think I'm not a garment worker. I'm not an artisan. I do not know what it takes to be a garment worker or be an um, artisan. And I think that it required us to interact and have relationship with the people at the grassroots when we're trying to impact change in that same space. Um, Top-down policies are very colonial. I mean, India is a co like a colonized country. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a history with that. And what does it really mean to build capacity with people at a grassroots? And I think this is one element that's very important to me personally, but also to the brand, um, where we include the folks that we're working with and the communities that we're working with at the center of our narrative. And did you see any changes in the in the industry since you launched roughly six years ago? I mean, is 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 your concept of of your standard right the Benno standard? Um, do you see other fashion companies slowly starting to adapt to that new way of of, of thinking? So I think six years ago it was very difficult for me to get an ear to talk about ethics mm -hmm. and sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, Fashion always has known that we have had issues in how we manufacture and the product life cycle and the trendiness of it all. But six years ago, not everyone was open to talking about it. It was still one of those subjects that people didn't know how to interact with. Now, every publication is talking about sustainability on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. So since six years ago, there's been tremendous changes. Mm -hmm. um, also, when we created the Bender Standard six years ago, it was very much a you know, a grassroots standard created with me having spent time on the grassroots with communities and academia coming up with the banner standard ranging from six different categories, addressing healthcare to women's rights to family planning to eco-consciousness. And now so many folks have come up with their own standards. So there has also been to that extent some greenwashing where mm -hmm. people don't necessarily know um, as a consumer what's really making an impact and what's being done for brands to play now in that space where if you aren't sustainable, they're a little bit worried about how that might impact their top line business. 
That's really interesting. Um, the idea of greenwashing and now, you know, it's like ethos washing or whatever you would call it, right? Um, you know, I, I agree. Now now it is the thing to do and now everyone is doing this. Um, and really for, for, from a consumer point of view to understand which brand is actually walking their talk and which is not is extremely difficult. How do you, with, with the Benno brand, how do you showcase what you're doing or how do you you know how do you make sure that people don't think oh here's yet another one you know that's doing it this yeah. way i think it's very much about talking about the process and inviting people into the process and letting our consumer have a stake in that process ultimately when we look at our business model our consumers are probably one of the largest stakeholders. They allow us to progress and make the social impact that we're trying to have. And for us, we have a section on our website which talks about the sense of Benno and what that makes, um, what, what does that do for the brand and how does the brand contribute to it? And I think it's about peeling away the curtains and inviting someone into that space. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one very aggressive way that we try to be a resource for our consumers. Um, but what we require our consumers is to ask their favorite brands, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the space we try to use to answer that question. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then on the flip side, you talked in the beginning of our conversation about how there was a certain perceived connotation about the made in India brand, right? Like the idea of made in India and what it really, what, what it means to, you know, the Western consumers uh, based on their, again, you know, preconceived notions. How, how, how is that being, um, being seen now by, by, by your customer? And are you, do you feel like you're actually making an impact and you're changing that? And do you see that maybe people start thinking about the made in India label as something different today? I mean, we've been very lucky to get significant press around our overarching mission. Yes, um, you have. That's I, why we're here. <laughs> I, yeah. I have read about you uh, in, in, in a lot of places. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I think that, you know, the perception is changing. Um, what we are learning is when we were doing Ready to Well, I'll give you a very frank example. We had a buyer from a very reputable store come in and um, she loved the collection and she asked where the products were manufactured and we did mention that they were made in India. Um, she didn't proceed with the order. Hmm. And I think that kind of speaks to some of these strong presumptions. But now we're working with the same store and they see the product and they see the design aesthetic and they see the quality of the product and, and they completely have changed their perception. And I think that's something that we um, love to see. I think that's very important. And I think that India has always been a space where a lot of luxury brands go for all of their hand embroidery and hand embellishment work. Yeah. Um, you have some of the largest houses doing this work in India. And I think the supply chain uses developing spaces so aggressively, but seldom do, do developing countries get the recognition for that supply chain. It's really cool. Um, it's it's really really interesting. Um, can can you share the meaning behind the brand name uh, with with my listeners? Because Benno does, doesn't mean uh, too much to them, but I know it actually has a really deep meaning um, for the brand. Uh, yeah, Benno means sisters in Hindi, and the reason why we went with sisters. Um, Benno was for a few reasons. Um, in our garment factories, um, a lot of the female uh, colleagues are referred to each other by their first name followed by the suffix of Ben, which means sister. So if I had a um, garment worker colleague named uh, Nini, I would call her Nini Ben. 
and the plural of Ben in Benno. So it's kind of, in, you know, talk to a idea of a community of sisterhood that exists in these spaces. And then I also have a lot of sisters in my own life. Uh, my mother is a sister, I have a sister of my own. So it just felt very apropos. And, and I believe now, um, when you're prompted on the on the on your website, when you're prompted to join the 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 email list, you're you're actually asked to join the sisterhood, right? So it it becomes it becomes woven into into the brand language as well. Yeah, I think that you know when you support um, a Benno product or when you support Benno, you ultimately are becoming a part of a very curated. Uh, you know, eco-conscious, sustainable, ethical consumer. And I think that that's something that we should wear very proudly. Um, and I think that these sort of communities are important to build um, because that's how movements start. That's how change happens. Absolutely, 100%. Let's move over to talk about Instagram because I know you're extremely active or maybe you're not even that active on Instagram, but you're very popular on Instagram. Um, you've got uh, a, lot of, a lot of followers yourself personally um, as, as well as your brand. I personally always go to a brand's Instagram feed first to truly get an idea of what they're doing right now and who they are in, you know, at their most authentic selves, right? Like this, you really get a good idea of, of what a brand is about. Um, and I felt the same when I went to Benno's Instagram feed. So, so, so I wonder f for you, like, do you feel that Instagram is more important to your brand than even your website, which I know is something that we wouldn't have said, you know, five, 10 years ago. But do you feel Instagram has that kind of importance at this point in, in, in the marketplace, especially when it comes to fashion? I think that for the industry at large, social media, Instagram specifically, has been very important. I think for our own business model, I think our website still serves as the primary source of information and discovery. Um, I think that Instagram is more complementary to our consumer's experience. And this is purely from the data um, mm -hmm. that we have, how many people are coming onto our website or shopping with us through Instagram. Um, so I think these are some of the numbers that we kind of um, have. So I think it is more supplementary for sure. But I think that Instagram, if you're not there, it does take away some engagement um, that's very valuable for us as a brand, both on a product level, but also on an ethos level, especially when I'm hearing about uh, big companies like Bottega that are stepping away from Instagram. And I think that's very interesting to me because what does that speak to the industry at large? But I do know that as an emerging brand, we do rely on it quite a bit. That is really interesting. And that's the first time that I hear that. Why, why do you think they're doing that? Why do you think they, they step away? Well, I think Daniel Lee is tremendously brilliant. I think that his team, I'm sure there's some sort of strategy behind it. It's not just, you know, they're just not switching their switch one day and saying, let's be off of it. I sure, think there's yeah. something very meticulously planned behind that decision. However, I do think that it's an overload. I mean, where I'm constantly on my phone, I feel that I'm communicating with a lot of our editors through Instagram. Um, and I think that maybe people just need a breather. And I think people need to just experience life outside of our screens a little bit more, especially in today's world where the pandemic encourages us, and I mean, really forces us to stay at home and work from home and limit our outside exposure. Um, but, you know, it's a different time. So I think that I'm always on my phone and I would love to not always be on my phone. Um, so I think that that might be another adding factor to brands maybe look at reassessing the role of social media. 
I, I, I wish you would be right. Um, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that brands don't are not that empathetic about uh, about their customers. Though <laughs> I think it is something that most probably most of uh, most of us right now feel feel that uh, that pressure and that burden that we are constantly on our phone because of everything that you just said, right? And yeah. and, sh- and changing that, I think, is is. It's 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 important for for you know for, for all of us right for for our health and for our sanity to to you know to to go out and to experience other things and like you said now this is really it is different but I I, I do wonder if that is a brand's perspective unless you know you are you are you know you're, you're that empathetic which sadly most large brands especially fashion brands I don't I don't see them as being which is different from Benno right <laughs> you know you 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 really lead, you really lead with empathy and talking about which um and, and and still on the topic of Instagram um on June 6 of last year 2020 so 4 days after the hashtag blackout tuesday um took over social media you guys did something different um and I'm going to read the post that, that you guys posted back then um it said PSA an emer- as an emerging label, we want to do our part to make space. For every order that comes in, we're committing to return 40% of your order back to you. Please redistribute these funds to support a black-owned business. It's an honor system. Can we count on you? Click the link in the bio to text us for a list of resources. So, so I thought that was really clever as, as you put the decision power back into your customers' hands. It talks about transparency. It talks about, you know, empowering others and, and you empower your customers to then make a choice, you know, on their own. Um, and, and I'm wondering, you know, like so many of these, you know, like like quick instantaneous, you know, ideas um, that, that you know, which is the power of Instagram, right? You have an idea, you put it out there, you see if it works. D- did it work or was it too complex for your audience to, to grasp, you know, how, how detailed this goes. Like you have to text and then, you know, select something and then you have to give money back. How, how did it work? Um, so logistically, it was relatively a simple process. Um, I think uh, the consumer was well aware that they would pay full price. Um, and then we just refunded that 40% of all the orders that did come through. Um, did it work? It was not maybe as gravely a success as maybe we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But then again, we didn't intend this to be a sales campaign. Yeah. Um, this was not something that we intended to kind of make up for a, a sales promotion that we would do at key holiday period during the year. Right. Um, that was not our intention. So for us to compare, um, so I mean, I don't know what I would be measuring again. If, if it was, but what did come through is conversation. Right. And I think that a lot of people were very shocked that we would do this. Yeah. And a lot of people were curious why we wouldn't just donate to a reputable nonprofit doing work in the space directly. Um, and for me, I think, like you said, we need to empower ourselves. It's our responsibility to do the work on our end as well. Um, I think that as a brand, we could have easily donated to a nonprofit, but that takes accountability out of our own hands. Um, and I think that as consumers, we have a responsibility to play in discovering, supporting, being allies, and really um, being in solidarity with the Black community. So I think we wanted to make very clear that it wasn't just our responsibility as a brand, but it also was our consumer's responsibility. 
I yeah, I absolutely love it, and it really it was it was a statement more so than you know a sales campaign, like like you mentioned, absolutely, because that would have absolutely backfired too. I mean, that's not what it was about. Um, but but I really I really like the thinking uh, behind this, and not jumping right onto the bandwagon on Black uh, Tuesday, but taking a couple of days and thinking about how can we really do something that uh, that is in line with with uh, with our with our brand. Um, you keep you keep using text messaging as your main source of contact for your audience. Uh, you know, on Instagram, you say, click on our link and, you know, text us hello and, you know, we'll be in touch. And the same thing happened with that campaign. Do, do you see text being kind of like a new means of customer communications or does it, does it, does it work well for you? Um, it works tremendously well for us. Um, I wish more brands that I love had those sort of services. Um, I think that building a relationship with a customer service representative at a brand is so important. Um, I think that when I hear feedback from what we hear from our customers, it's very real feedback, what they don't like about the product, what they maybe could be done differently. So I think it helps product development. But on the flip side, it also encourages us to talk to our customers about the product and the raw materials and the supply chain. And I think that is something that we also really take a lot of pride in. But lastly, a lot of our customers like the product, but don't necessarily know what might be good for their lifestyle. So it allows our team to help them find the right bag for them. And I think this level of communicating is very different than an email because you can also email our client services and email address. But I think that this is quicker, instantaneous. There's a level of intimacy that we get over these text messages and the conversations rather than email communication. That's really wonderful um, and, and refreshing to hear. I, I talked about um, a year ago, or maybe maybe a little over a year ago. I talked with uh, Michael Astoria, who's the who's the CEO and founder of End Pizza, and and what they do is they actually have they don't have Slack internally, they don't have any of these systems, they don't even use email. The entire communication with an entire company is via text message. <laughs> so uh, it was it was really it was it was amazing to me to to hear that. And and he said very much what what you said now. Um, just that he uses it internally, that people want to communicate, you know, on their terms. And that's how people communicate these days during the day. You, you, you text everyone, right? You text your friends, you text your family. Um, so why not be part of this, um, you know, of this, uh, of this infrastructure um, that, that they already enjoy and everything becomes more, more, you know, more amicable and more personal because of it. So, And not only that, just to quickly add on, I think as a luxury, like an advanced contemporary luxury brand, how do we bring white glove service, which is very big in like the art furniture world into a handbag company. Um, and I think that's also very important to us is how do we create a luxury experience at a price point that's a quarter of a luxury bag cost? And I think that's something that's very important too. And I think people, I as a consumer love to be taken care of and love to be looked after. And I think that we want our consumers to feel the same way where there is a team of people that are looking after them and they're for them if they have any questions at all. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking looking back at your at your journey or you know, rather the Benno's journey, um, what was what was one big breakthrough moment where you felt like, you know what, it was a startup, but now we're actually we're turning into into a real brand. People know us, people talk about us. Uh, I, I know, and you mentioned it, you, you got tons of press uh, for, for what you're doing and 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 for your product. Um, What's was the one particular moment or one particular you know um, article or something where you felt like okay this is it you know we're moving up? 
Um, so I think uh, one big moment was um, when my mentor, Denise Stiegel, decided to join on as an acting CEO. I think that was a breakthrough moment for the company. And the day that we decided to pivot into handbags. And I think that single-handedly impacted the way that we positioned ourselves in the space. Yeah. Um, because now we were playing, again, um, a lot more of a competitive market because handbags, there's only so much utility and function and design changes that we can really make. But it became a moment where we were forced to put on our creative and branding hats again mm -hmm. um, and change everything. Um, and then of course, that change allowed um, a lot more marketing opportunity as well, where we were able to kind of redevelop in a more obvious way what our brand um, branding standard would look like. And I suppose it was more niche down, right? So, so you 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 had a better overview of what's going on in that particular niche of the industry. Absolutely, and I think that you know um, a handbag is quite possibly the last thing someone puts on to finish up their look, um, even probably after they put on their shoes. Um, so I think it's not necessarily the first product people buy, but I think that it definitely is the last product people think about. Mm -hmm. So I think that that in itself um, is very important. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do we allow us to communicate with our customers that this is the product that will finish your look? Very interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, come, come think of it. Um, you know, that, that actually comes out nicely in, uh, in some of the posts on Instagram too, where it is about, it is about finishing the look, um, which, which psychologically it's, you know, it's fantastic that you, that you went through that journey to understand when does your customer actually think about your product and then you replicate that. Um, Somewhere, somewhere, I read the following. It must have been on your website um, or Instagram, or maybe in one of your one of the articles about your brand. Um, it said our founder envisioned manufacturing to be radically different, where garment workers and factories weren't just a part of the supply chain, but instead an intimate part of a brand's core DNA. And Brand DNA is so crucial for any company to, to really think about and to, to really understand. Um, and, and the best brands can state their DNA in, in one or two words, right? So if we look at Everlane, it's, it's radical transparency. If we look at Sappos, it's, it's customer service. I guess now they just call it wow. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, their, mm -hmm. that's their brand DNA. What is, what is one word or two words that, that can describe your brand on that ultimate, you know, DNA level? Um, our tagline is the world's finest consciously made handbag, but I think the one word to describe us would be investment. And for us, that word hmm. had a multifold um, meaning. So investment, not only in the communities that we work in, um, the garment workers, the artisans, you're investing in a product that we encourage you to have in your wardrobe for many, many years. And I think that a lot of people assume investment handbag to be those in thousands of dollars, right? Like the Hermes Birkin is an investment piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it's like, how do we redefine a investment in handbag? Um, you, I mean, you can look at spending $400 on a handbag as an investment if you intend to keep it in your wardrobe, love it the way you would love a bag perhaps someone would spend thousands of dollars on. But then also you're investing um, in yourself, right? And you're investing in how to, you know, finish the look. And I think that investment for us has multiple different 
You know, I would have take- I would have thought of so many words. Um, an investment would have never occurred. You know, like top of mind, right? Um, it right. is such a great word. Um, because of this multifunction um, that that you just described. Uh, great, absolutely fantastic. What what does you know now that you so, so you come from the marketing background? Um, you know, and and then you really you, you studied you studied um, you know science and 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 you know humanity and 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 now you know you've been running a brand you've been pivoting along the way you know you learned a lot what does what does branding mean to you today branding is everything um it means that we have to look at every aspect of our brand from the same set of lenses and making sure that we're completely aligned internally as a team and as a company but we're also aligned externally with our consumers and i think That is probably very tough because as a small brand, emerging brand, we're constantly changing and there's we have to be nimble and we have to pivot. Um, but uh, through this journey, we need to make sure that there's a consistent tone of voice. And for me, that's branding. Yeah, really, really well said. Um, if an entrepreneur is, is listening to this and, and he or she um, is, is manufacturing products right now, which, which a lot of them are and a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to my show, um, you know, or, or they're planning to, to produce something in the future and they're inspired by how you set your, your ethical standards, um, what, is in, what are some tips for them to, to follow into your footsteps, to move from exploiting cheap labor like everyone else's to creating a nurturing environment. You also have a little bit of a legs up because you know you you have you have your family ties with India and it it most probably was you know not easy but easier for you to create kind of like this this intrinsic community and really really work hands on. But what are, what are some steps that you you think entrepreneurs should take when they say you know what I'm going to raise my hands I do want to have an, a, 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 my product produced in an ethical way. I think that something that's very important is to not be scared to ask questions to the manufacturing partners that you may um, bring on and work with. I think that's very important. There's no shame in asking questions and challenging the manufacturers that you may work with. So that's one thing. Secondly, I also think that change has to happen at many different levels. And there is this notion in the industry where you only work with people who do things from the very beginning a certain way that are already very ethical. But my goal has also been, and I think there's a, I have some peers in this space, is how do we work with people who are maybe not doing things the right way, but help them change their business practices? Right. So I think there's also that level of engagement and capacity building that can be done. So as a small brand, you can work with a factory that maybe doesn't hold to the standard you may have for manufacturing, but slowly encourage them to change their practices, invest time in helping them change those practices. And I think that it can become a collective effort. Um, so obviously, the easiest thing would be to find a factory that adheres to your ethical standards, sustainability standard. A more challenging approach would be to partner with someone who's not doing that and then work with them to change. And that's how you create real change, <laughs> you know, which is really, really wonderful. Um, I love that. And, you know, I, I just talked about this the other day. Um, I, I used a product and I think it was something really random. I, I think it was something like peas, you know, like split peas, that, you know, like for a soup. Um, and, and I looked at the package and on, on the very bottom, it said, you know, that this packaging is not recyclable. And then it said below, but we are working really hard to find a solution to make it recyclable. And to me, that was so great. 
you know, like you see, you see a lot of packaging that is not recyclable and you're just like, well, does this really work with the brand that I'm buying? It's just kind of weird. But saying that we're actively working on changing that, um, that we are aware of the waste that we create or, 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 you know, a problem that we, we now put into your hands and we know that it is not, you know, in line with, with, with what you came to expect with our brand. I think it's wonderful. You know, I think, I think I got a, you know, a wine shipment. I think it was, you know, a case of wine and it was packaged in those styrofoam containers and, you know, and the brand is totally the opposite of that, right? It's all about organic farming and sustainability, you know, and, and, right. and so I got that wine and, and the first thing that I saw was like a little note that was printed on the top saying, shame on us, but we have to do this right now because we ran out of stuff and, you know, but it was great because they knew that, that customers think about these things, um, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I also think that as a young brand, you have to take ownership for the negative parts of your business too. I think that just talking about the positives is not, doesn't do anyone um, justice because I think that part of growth and change is addressing the negative, right? And I think that the ownership aspect, like you're mentioning, like people talking about it the, on the packaging is extremely important. It's always growth. I totally agree. And, and, but only if they actually really honestly feel that way, right? Because I, you know, a lot of brands really don't care. You know, and, 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 you know, then they shouldn't, they shouldn't state anything because they don't even want to change anything. So I think that that idea that it needs to be, if you're a young brand and you, you, you care about these things, but you're not doing them right now, you know that you will do them in the future. Talk about this. I think it's super important for, for customers to actually understand. So... We're coming to an end um, of, of this, but but listeners who fell in love with uh, with 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 Benno, where can they get their hands on your on your handbags? Uh, no pun. And, and how how can they how can they learn more about um, you know how you run your brand? Um, well, of course, we invite um, all the listeners to come to Benno.com, B-E-H-N-O.com, to um, learn more about the sense of Benno and what makes us us. Um, but if you also are interested in product, it can be found on Benno.com, but we also sell to Nordstrom, um, and then we have all of the international distributors as well. So um, that's kind of an easy way to learn about the brand. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shiwam, for, for having made the time to be, to be on the show. Um, really appreciate um, all of your insights and, and, and the story that you shared with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was such a nice time talking to you. Shivan Punya, another entrepreneur who crafted a brand his way with a grand mission and an audience that connects with not only what he creates, but more importantly, how and why he and his team do so. That is the beauty of branding that I tried to celebrate in this show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.